little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jack is gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Sucking on chili dog outside to taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between his knees. Jackie say, hey Diane, let's run off behind the shade of trees. Dribble off those Bobby Brooks, let me do what I please. Say, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Say, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. The walk on. In 1984, Australian Richard Cram, regarded by many as the power surfer of his generation, he was 24 and at the height of his powers, ranked 10th in the world, had a forehand cutback to make Zeus himself whimper with envy, but then casually and with zero drama, gave up the world title chase for a life of marriage, free surfs, and some kind of decent-paying global ambassadorship gig for Quicksilver. I cannot think of anybody else who, at that age and rank, walked away of their own volition. Pick your favorite World Tour dropout and see if he or she wasn't in fact sidelined by injury or addiction or a mental health issue. Cram, like Dane Reynolds, simply recognized that he didn't have the head for collecting points by beating the opposition week after week. Cram took his Mount Olympus cutback and got on with his life. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm Jamie Brewer in London. This is The Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we explore life after the pro tour. Inspired by Matt's Sunday joint from March 14th, 2021 on Richard Cram, what began as a discussion between brothers remarking on Cram's seemingly effortless transition to a civilian life led us to discuss other pros who transitioned off tour and well, it spiraled into the topic of this episode. What has life been like for pro surfers post-career? Who found success? What careers are they equipped for? And how do they fare compared to other sports to retire from? And of course, another round of Stump My Bro. The Sunday Joint is an adjacent podcast to the Encyclopedia of Surfing on the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. Well, hello there, brother. How's hey, your pie, time. guy? Yeah, it's <laughs> all right. You know, we had uh, warm weather like yesterday. We were all wearing shorts here in London and even worried about sun, sun like sunburn. Getting and real today, sunburn in England? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Not a an odd one, <laughs> not a Trump, you know, grade one, but you know, like you know, it's enough to you know make you feel like you know, like wait, what's going on? 
And then today we woke up and it was freezing and it's snowing outside. You know, you got the weather. I think we had like a couple of weeks ago where it was like sunny, warm, got up to 70. And then like a day later, it got fucking cold. And like there were freeze warnings and it lasted for like a few days. We were like turning down the heat, you know, beforehand. We're feeling all nice. And all of a sudden, like shit, turn the heat back on. (laughs) So I think you got our residual from like a week or two ago. (laughs) It was pretty weird. Uh But enough about that. Otherwise, people are going to wonder if we're going to turn the turn the surfing back on. <laughs> I know, right? So, so post pro careers, when we started talking, I mean, it's like Richard Cram was like he he left at the right. He left on his own volition, like as Matt said in the intro, right? And it's like you, I start to think, well, who who else did that? Who who left on their own volition uh, at at like height of their powers almost? And how do they how do they do afterwards? It, like it sounded like Richard Cram had this nice, easy transition almost into a post pro career. Like yeah, and he was he, almost proto proto surf ambassador, like proto, you know, free surfer almost. In some yeah, way. well, and also like he he preserved his legacy. You know, like when you think of Richard Cram now you just think of this cool guy, you know, with his amazing cutback, you know, and like. You don't think like he could have stayed on and just I don't know what, what what his reputation would have been like if he just fought it out and ended up in the back 16 for a while. Instead, he was number 10. Let all you remember it is just boom, him perfectly preserved. You know, you, it's uh, yeah, yeah, he did. And then then I remember so like, ah, I can't maybe, you know, some more of the details mm-hmm. than me, because I know shortly thereafter, like still in the 80s he had started a surfwear company called kudu and yeah. it was you know there were ads for it and the kudu logo was on his board i remember um, i don't know since and i know he's been on um ain't that swell not too long ago he was on one of the episodes and talking about his life and his kids and they're real good surfers but oh cram who yeah. rips but also is a trade worker too which is kind of cool so it's oh like, you mean like pre pre-pro career like he had during a, pro had a career. job he doesn't as a, have a, a plumber wasn't he yeah and he still is he still does it and then also does the kind of surfing thing on the side too which is kind of cool and like o'neill highlighted him i believe like kind of like these blue blue collar surfing pro surfers almost you know like billy bain was another one uh who's rob bain's son so that's oh. kind of interesting yeah <laughs> he's an insane artist by the way beautiful really incredible by the way billy bane billy bane yeah that's a good name i like it i just i, I always i always have this memory of sarge's surfing crap uh, scrapbook not crap book <laughs> i don't want to know about sarge's scrapbook actually <laughs> no. but there's a there's a little shot with like little little child billy bane with rob and it said billy bane billy bane's dad and it showed rob surfing and it goes billy bane's dad and i <laughs> like when i see rob bain i'm like oh, it's billy bain's dad <laughs> yeah that's what he's known for now yeah <laughs> like i'm known as your brother no. <laughs> do, do, do you think that um richard cram because he started off you know he he said before he became a pro surfer he was he was training as a plumber or he was a plumber he was a trainer and yeah. 
Yeah, and he wasn't really thinking that being a pro surfer was going to be a real job. And I wonder if that helps that attitude help make the transition. Whereas if you're an athlete who's trained from a young age, always focusing on being um, a professional athlete, and then all of a sudden you finish your career and you've spent your whole life thinking about becoming a pro athlete, how do you make that transition to, to not being a professional athlete? That's hard. Well, that is the big thing. Like, and there's like, um, there's a, in, in, and I think recently more so than, than in the past, probably in the last 10 years, I've noticed more professional surfers who are balancing being a professional and going to university or taking courses online. And Seriously? Try, yeah, yeah. Well, look at Jesse Miley Dyer, who's now like the VP at, at the WSL. While she was on tour competing, she was getting her degree as well. Oh, wow. Kelly Slater got a degree, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. you say apparently, because I, I read that he got a, a law degree. Yeah, and in Australia, must, but it, it, he, that he must be able to buy it. Right? He must be able to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's a clever guy. He's a we hard joke. worker. We joke. Know. But but yeah no I think that um, I think you're starting to see people be a bit smarter right about it I, I even remember like in the early 2000s like Braun Husenstam one of the like California mm -hmm. guys uh, you know he he went to school also like during while he was competing you know trying to make what <laughs> no because I remember there was an interview with him. Uh... Bron Husenstam, his dad, his was his dad the guy who had um, Newport Surf and Co., like a really successful surf shop, I think? I believe so. And I also or, think like his, his, his uncle was, like was one of the, I think his father and his father's brother, one of them was like a, a real serious artist and the other one was a successful surf shop owner, I think. Yeah. He, and he Bron, lineage. Bron, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I think Bron said in this interview, like he was mainly talking about the, the frat parties and how great they yeah. <laughs> but you know the question you you pose and you sent to me is is surfing easier to retire from than other sports mm. um it depends on which sport you're comparing it to i think right like if you are retiring from curling i don't know what the <laughs> What, that what is exactly like. you read my mind i was gonna interrupt and say what curling <laughs> well we are brothers you know um but i you know that's the thing like i don't know if you want to compare it to basketball or football or baseball probably yeah it's definitely a lot harder but i also Ooh, i think it's Why? a lot harder well, so, to be... so compared to like the big sports you yeah. think surfing is harder to retire from than the big sports oh gosh yeah because the big sports you're making a lot of money you know we're surfing you know right now particularly there's only you know a handful of people really making money as, mm -hmm. as a pro surfer i mean you look at kaya belly who's on the world tour can't get a sponsor and he has to have beach grit do a fun crowd fund for them you know it's uh i think it's always been difficult because you, you know, it's been a very low-paying uh, profession uh, compared to other major sports, and you have those unicorns, those people who make multi-million dollars, but they're like one in one in a million, you know. And everyone else who's either mid-tier or we're lower, it's a really difficult, uh, really difficult. I think you know, especially if you were raised. The thing is, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is true for other sports too, but surfing, it feels like 
you know, you're discovered at a young age. And this started probably like in the late 90s, I would say the companies really started. And, and there's obviously history, Dave Eggers and other people where the kids are real young and they shower them with money, put them on these trips, uh, homeschool, all of them, a lot of them went to homeschooling, you know, education was definitely secondary for many of them. And the whole motto is, oh, well, they'll learn from traveling. Traveling is one of the best teachers of life and all this other bullshit. You know, I'm not going to say traveling doesn't teach you a few things, but it also, if your focus is just surfing and that's it, and then you're paid to go on these trips that are chaperoned by a team manager or photographer and all these other things, like you're, you're, your whole focus is just surfing. You're not learning many other skill sets unless you are a curious person. And then you get to your 20s and let's say you don't even make the, the, the QS. I mean, you look at like uh, Garrett Parks is a great example. He was showered with all this, all this, you know, kind of attention and was given wild cards into Quick Pro and it didn't pan out for him. And he's had to find his own way. And, uh, you know, there's many other surfers like that. I love Garrett Parks, by the way, sick surfer. Um, it seems like a really cool guy, actually. But it's like, that's got to be a really difficult thing to to deal with. One, all the money yeah. and time invested in you. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess if you're going to compare it to other sports, like, I think the money thing, if you're, if you make a lot of money in your sport, you can use that to pave the way financially to post surfing career. Um, however, also, I guess also, one thing I got to throw out there also, sorry to interrupt, but most of the major sports, those athletes got a college degree, whether it's, you know, legitimate or what, or scholarship, you can argue. Um, but they all leave with a college degree. You don't got a college degree leaving pro tour that really does hinder a lot of your earning potential. I, yeah, I guess that's a, yeah, that's a, okay. So let's, let's focus on that for a minute because in professional, like in basketball and football, at least I can think of it, American football anyway. Yeah, um, gridiron. gridiron for those of you abroad. <laughs> people abroad don't say gridiron. You keep saying that whenever we talk about it. I've never heard anyone here call it gridiron. Really? <laughs> no. I heard you say song. gridiron, people think, what is that something you like make a toasty with or something like that? Like a jaffle with a jaffle. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so so basketball in college, like for the the, the sports yeah. are major things, you know. They're March they're Madness brilliant. is going on in basketball. Um, so I guess you go to, to college so that you can play for a college team so you can feel what it's like. And that's like your minor league kind of for going into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you get exploited when you go to college though, the NCAA, there's like a whole thing right now going on where, you know, these athletes are not allowed to earn money uh, when they go to college, you know, they're yeah. technically amateurs, so they're not allowed to be paid and they're not allowed to participate in any sort of sponsorship. And yet the colleges and NCAA all fucking make billions off of these athletes. It's fun, mm. actually. That's a whole. Oh, well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So then you can argue what's better, what's not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But you're right. Surfing, you know, there's no, there's no really, there's no reason to go to university, to go to college. It's four wasted years of your pro career, basically, when especially 18 to 22. I know now you have a, a, a longer pro career than 
you did in the past. Obviously, in the past, you know, like 22 was like the, <laughs> the average Old age man. for winning a world title. Yeah, and um, you were considered over the hill past 25 almost. Remember mm. when Kern came back to win his third world title? It was 27. He seemed so old to us. And obviously, there's, there's, you know, perception of age, but it just felt like, you know, in surfing in general, if you were in your late 20s, you were on the back end of your career through the 80s and, and parts of the 90s. Actually, I don't think he was 27. I think he was 26. Like, it was, it was so 25, 20, I think he was 25 at the beginning of the season. And we thought, oh, my God, look, you know, he's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. How, however, other sports. I don't want to spend too much time talking about other sports, but I know they they also spend you know from a very young age really psyching and gearing towards everything, and that is their whole thing. Um, but I guess the and I don't know. I've never been a professional surfer before, <laughs> um, but I wonder if actually because it's surfing so much smaller time, if it and I know it's changed, but it could make the transition easier. You know, like you're not. A major celebrity you're not used to making tons and tons of money mm. um you can and also here's i mean this is more less about career i suppose and more about you know if you retire from professional a professional sport that's it you're never going to get to play experience playing that sport at a top level again whereas pro surfing you can spend the rest of your life surfing yeah, the same waves you surf when you were a pro, and if you, you know you stay fit, you can still rip it at a high level. And I wonder if that helps make the transition. Like, imagine if you're a professional f- football player, mm-hmm. and you're coming to the end of your career, and you realize you're never going to play this sport that you love again. I mean, you're really not. You know, if you're a basketball player, you could still go down, but you're probably not going to play in a football game again. Whereas if you're a pro surfer. You could surf as long as you can yeah. handle it, you know, it's, well, and that fine. might make the transition easier. I know it's not helping you career wise, but you can still get your fix. Well, I mean, with football, God, like, you know, you have all the injuries and everything. Your body just can't handle that. And, you know, then, you know, the whole, you know, lot of football players have committed suicide due to those brain injuries, you know, and they or they attribute the suicides to to those brain injuries actually yeah 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 um now, now one of the things that we were going to we, you mentioned was like uh you know which pros did had the, like the best transitions you know and and, Wait, and it's interesting i'm, I'm not ready oh, yeah. to go there yet I'm oh okay there okay yet. okay i want to explore this a little bit more on the easier to retire from other sports or or what happens to many pros post-career? Many of our listeners may not be aware of this, but- Oh, many, no, that's what I was talking about. But many of them became reps and worked in the industry. But I would say this, right now may be one of the best times to be a pro surfer and to, to have a after-career plan. Right now, you see all these coaching programs pop up all over the place. You have wave pools being formed all over. Um, there's going to be jobs for these former pro surfers at all of these places. Like they can be a coach. They can go be a team manager. They could go work at one of these wave pools and be the local pro. Like there's going to be a lot of openings. I think in the next five to 10 years for the post pro career, um, that's going to be much more open and less limiting than it was in the past. In the past, it was you, you left the tour. And if you weren't like one of the best of the best, 
you probably worked with one of your sponsors and maybe they had a position open up for a sales rep or something in the company or a team manager. Like you had to work in the industry. Mm, you uh, couldn't be a surfer anymore. You had to be a nine to five for a surf company. Exactly. Whereas a lot of the, the, the pros, I think you're starting to see like Taylor Knox, right? Arc method, surf camp. He's still got some sponsorship too. social media is also given way more length to their careers, I think, you know, because they're in much more control of what the public views, whereas before you were reliant on the surf magazines and well, every 10 years is a new generation and you were forgotten. Yeah, I guess it depends on your personality, like all those things that you said there, like if you're a, well, even coaching, like, just because you're a great surfer doesn't mean you could be a great coach, like, and, and some pro surfers who never really hit that top, top, top ended up being outstanding coaches. Glenn Micro Hall being one of them fought forever to get on tour, finally gets on tour and gets, you know, injured, you know, and had to take a year off and then came on and just never really got going on the CT level. But who's, who's he a coach of now? Who's he? he Well, he coached, I mean, he's Tyler Wright is one of the, one of his. Oh, Okay main main pupils i mean you had uh matt wilkinson uh who he coached to win you know two events in a row opening events and became a world title threat once micro started coaching him ace buck in numerous i mean he's got a he is like the surf coach he is the surf coach yeah you know and like jake patterson's another one you know and and those things also like being a coach or whatever those things end up you end up being in the profile still and you'd be and still are kind of in the spotlight. And I think those lead to other opportunities too. Ah, well, that's, that's a good one. Like to me, I'm hearing all this. And to me, like being a coach to the pros sounds like the ultimate post post career <laughs> career. Um, can you think of what is the best post surf career career apart from like something completely very different, obviously, like if you like said Tom like, Curran yeah, to become Tom like Carroll. a, to become a chef, you know, and you said, okay, well, okay, that has nothing to do. All right. No. But like something where you use your surf. skills. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Like what? I and mean, cause that's something where you're really using your skills. Like, cause I was worried, like if, if you're a, if you spent your whole life training to be a professional athlete or pro surfer, um, what skills do you have that could transfer to other jobs? And obviously a coach is, could be the perfect one. I, I um, think so. I think surf coach, surf team manager is also really, really good. And I think now what will happen is um, for many of them, they could be, you know, for like if you're a middling pro maybe, but you're good at social media, like you can become working in, in social media for surfing too. That has become like a big thing. Photography is another for some surfers. Tom Carroll now is like, you know, got this whole deal of Canon and his photos are being displayed and he's doing more of it. So as like a fine artist kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, I mean, what, what's, what skill sets would a pro have leaving, mm, leaving the tour? Okay. Yes. Let's think what are the skill sets? Obviously knowing how to surf and how to work out and look after your body and stuff like that. But training, what are the training, things training? Like if, sure. if you were a Tyler, Tyler, yeah. if you were applying for a job yeah. somewhere 
and and you were a pro surfer yeah and like and, and like the the president interviewed you said so mr brewer says here you're a pro surfer well tell us exactly well what kind of skills do you have that will help us <laughs> well, I say, I say, I think the the surfers now have way more skill set than than the surfers in the past potentially. Uh, but then again, you know, every generation has their their own. Like, so I always say, look at PT, right? Peter Townen mm-hmm. made an awesome transition, left the tour, became coach of the NSSA, started the ASP, but his real real job was going to work for Bob McNona at Surfing Magazine doing ad sales. See, and I thought after those two acronyms, you were going to say join the CIA or the FBI. <laughs> what, fun fact that many people don't know, PT joined the CIA. over <laughs> spot. And now he's championing the NAACP. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think... You know, I think, you know, he he was clearly a good marketer. He was good at promoting himself. Oh, yeah. Self-promotion is a good one. You know, Wayne, Wayne Bartholomew, Rabbit, you know, like great self-promoter. You had to, particularly in that era, you had to be really good at promoting, marketing, getting the word out because it wasn't so easy as it is now. Um, so I would say marketing promotion is a really good transitional, you know, you know, it's like a good skill set you could have as a surfer. You have to be promoting yourself. You have to be out there, especially right now with social media. Like part of that is factored into your pay. How many views you get is factored into your contract. How often you post is in your contract. So I would yeah, say- Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the young pros today are yeah. really They're savvy. Them. They're savvy. They're very tech savvy. I mean, you look at Jamie O'Brien, right? Like Jamie O'Brien is probably never going to have to work a real job his his the rest of his life. But if although he, wanted, he works, he's always worked really he's always hard. Working. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying. But uh, yeah, another job. Yeah, a non. I'm saying he never has to work a full time like main gig, like working for someone else. Like he, Jamie O'Brien, is a content creator, and he does what he does. And if he wanted to, he could. Uh, market his skill set and guaranteed there are plenty of companies that would would die for his skill set there's just some people who just don't get it and some do and he definitely is really gets it and is really savvy ben gravy you know is the other guy you know Mm -hmm. who's taken surfing weird waves and made a living out of that you know and so i think marketing being creative um you know could be really important um but then otherwise, you know, it could be anything from uh, strategy, potentially, especially if you're surfing heats and you did well. Uh, that could be, you know, some sort of skill set you could put on your resume, at least. You might be able to bullshit a little bit on it. Well, well interestingly, one person who I thought had um, had a really interesting, well, still does, I suppose. Um, Bryce Ellis? No. no well... <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, don't I, I, I don't know enough about Bryce. I mean, I know, uh, no, I just I know about him while he was a pro, but not enough after. I remember pro. reading somewhere he went into insurance sales. and I, was like, I, I think wow. he did, actually. Yeah. I think I did hear that as well. <laughs> um, no, uh, Ross Clark Jones. God, yeah. So, so Ross Clark Jones, you know, he was a successful pro. Um, but then 
afterwards, obviously he did, don't want to say reinvented himself, but he really took the uh, bull by the horns and became it's you know known as a, a the big wave surfer, you know, yeah. with paddling, towing, everything. And then you know he did the the TV show with Tom Carroll, what they the, the adventurers, Storm, Storm Riders, Storm Riders, you know, yeah. and he became a television personality doing these outrageous things on tv um and i know he's had recent experience with outrageous things on tv um but but he's but, also but a motivational speaker that's the other thing and that's motivational speaker doing exactly what you were just describing taking your skills learned as a well big wave surfer and telling business people how you can use those skills um, um the other skill set sales i think I think a lot of pro surfers could be good salesmen. They Tell us why, because you you are like you. Yeah, because they <clears throat> like well Ross Clark Jones. He was able to convince corporate, you know, people head of million dollar companies that they need to listen to him. You got to be a good salesperson to be able to do that. You know, it's it's like particularly for him, like that was late 90s early 2000s were those with like the transition into it and uh you know at that time surfing's image was still like kind of it was just starting to get more and more cleaned up in the mainstream and being more accepted but still like if you were a ceo of a multi-million dollar company you know you'd be like why am i listening to a pro surfer who never went to school, never did this, like doesn't know anything about my industry, right? You have to be a good salesperson to sell that to them, to be able to convince them. And I, I think I've met plenty, plenty. I mean, look, the whole surf industry is littered with former professional surfers who became sales rep and they're good. They're, they're great. Some of them, some of them are phenomenal salespeople. They know uh, how to treat people. They know how to interact with people, they have good social skills. Those are those are really important skill sets, and more so now than ever because a lot of people don't have those skill sets because of technology. It's limited a lot of people. And if you're and, a surfer traveling around into different places, you have to be quite sociable. And yes, like and, and it's always yeah. I mean, one thing surf pro surfing is uh, on one hand been well, you could say criticized or uh, for being too social. Uh, you know the, the whole party <laughs> culture, um, but actually those those skills can translate. You know, once you you know if you sober up, you know it can really help out. Well, okay, so this is interesting. Obviously, you know all the skills that you learn there, but like who, which pros have do you think like have had? It would be a bit more fun here. Let's be a bit more fun. You know, have had like the the most interesting post careers. Well, let's say this. Like, like you, sent us, become... you sent some questions here. You said which pros had a bigger post career than pro career? Yeah, something like that. You know, like post career. You know, which post career? And when I mean bigger, like not just you know, like who is more successful, but who is like after the if if you cut off their life, oh. if you didn't know about their pro tour, and you just heard about what their life was like afterwards, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know that person. Yeah, because they did this, this, and this, and this. You know, well, or, I. Or, I created a list for this. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so do one at a time. So I did, uh, which pros had a bigger post career than pro career. Um, okay. You know, and I, I kept it within the surf realm, you know, their careers to a certain extent. Hmm. Um, not all of them, but Mark Price, 
was a South African pro surfer, had modest success on the tour, went on to be team manager at Gotcha, rose Gotcha to fame, then now is like head of Firewire. And, you know, uh, he's- yeah, I guess, yeah, like people like him, Danny Kwok, Richard Wilcott. Exactly. Yeah, Jamie Brissick. Jamie Brissick. Okay, now Jamie Brissick is more interesting than, yes. sorry, guys, but sorry, you guys Mark Price. are successful, but Jamie... Well, uh, okay. The thing is, what's interesting is if you lump all the journalists into one, <laughs> it's it's a tricky one because I did started doing that too. I I I hadn't thought of Jamie, but I was thinking of uh, you know Nick, Nick Carroll, Carroll uh, Matt Warshaw. If you've heard of him, he's and, on my um, list. Yes, <laughs> I mean those people stayed present in our mindset because they were writing, you know, and they became yeah. known as writers. And you got to get a, a window into their minds, so you can kind of feel like, ah, yes, they are quite interesting because of what they said and everything. And as a writer, I guess you do go into interesting situations and everything. Yeah, well, I think Brissick, though, freaking really interesting. You know, mm. he um, he moved to New York. You know, at some point early 2000, that's when I met him, you know, and and had a place in the city. He's written numerous books. He's he's done really well at being the surf guy. Like if you want someone who can speak articulately about surfing and write about it and make and write really well about it, like Jamie Brissick is that guy. Like he's created this really great niche for himself. Um I would say uh, John Rose, really mm-hmm. interesting. Tell us, yeah, talk about him. He's so, definitely so. John Rose was part of the momentum generation on the younger side, kind of coming up along with Timmy Kern and Dan Malloy a bit more. Really good, stylish, regular foot. Um, but you know, had like you know some success. Uh, you know, as a pro, more of a photo pro. Didn't never made it to the WCT level just grinded it out on the QS and then became more of a photo pro. But then he, he started waves for water, you know, and it's like really interesting. He just found himself in this place at the time. And his father also is like a really interesting character as well. And so he started waves for water and started going into these, you know, places after natural disasters and getting clean water and having these filters and the whole message of getting clean water to people all around the world and getting access. It's amazing. And then he travels all over. He was in the Caribbean during Hurricane Maria. Oh my God, the the Instagram (laughs) videos of that are gnarly, you know, and then was at Ground Zero helping clean up. He came to New York, helped us after Hurricane Sandy, coordinated all used incredible amounts of skill set. The guy was an operational machine. He he also is quite inspiring, great speaker, uh, quite humble. Yeah, just like God, like you'd want his life. You'd want <laughs> you'd want John Rose's life almost. It's yeah, and I awesome. know I read the your know, surfers journal did an article on him and he talks about transform what's the word you're using those skill sets that he learned as a a pro surfer surfer to to his his charitable work there um exactly he's an interesting one because when i started to think about the the women and the men who who you're comparing the women and the men in their lives pro tour uh a few women that that i came up with all seem to be doing work for the greater good as opposed to just 
business, you know, like um, Rel Sun Lane Beachley and Jericho Poplar. Like Jericho Poplar was, you know, on the um, the Groundswell Society board yeah. of members, you know, that Glenn Henning started mm-hmm. um, to, to, to further uh, the surf culture. Um, you know, Lane Beachley. Um, She's oh, got gosh. amazing stuff. I mean, everything motivational speaking, and she has a nonprofit, and mm-hmm. you know, and and numerous endorsements and public speaking and all that sort of all of that is amazing. And she's the narrator on a beach cop show, apparently in Australia. Fascinating. Yeah, and she's she, the the narrator on that. And she married, you know, one of the, the band members of In Excess. No, one of the band members of In Excess married her. Oh yes. Yeah, so. uh, and, and Rel's son, you know, she did a lot of, you know, well, God, she she was a jack of all trades, um, mm-hmm. post pro tour. You know, she, she was a DJ and um, lifeguard, and but also did a lot of. She helped, you know, people navigate, uh, you know, breast cancer. You know how mm-hmm. to um, how to get help and and what to do and stuff like that. Um, yeah, are there other women? Actually, I have to say, yeah. If you think of, yeah, of the, those three right there, their real their lives, and maybe, maybe because I don't know if it has anything to do with being a woman pro surfer, it not being so lucrative. Maybe it kind of made like instead of like, oh, this step down from this big pro life. Although I guess Lane Beach, they did achieve stardom, and 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 it was also pro surfing was quite serious at the time. Um, I just wonder if for Jericho and Rel, like they just for them, like post surf life was just like, well, it's not like all oh, the pro tour is over. It's just like life is still happening. It never, yeah. <laughs> it never stopped happening, you know, for them. Well, I would look at uh, a really interesting one is Corey Schumacher. You know, she's mm. a multiple women's longboard world champ, railed against the WSL when they were having a contest in China out of protest for human rights. And she is on the the um, you know the the town council for uh, Carlsbad, I believe. You know, has become a politician and advocate for LGBTQ rights and numerous other organizations, and is just like freaking awesome and hyper intelligent. Uh, I would put her on there. Patty Panicia, who uh, helped start the Women's Pro Tour, became a very successful lawyer. Um, actually became at the forefront of how to, you know, of sexual harassment in the workplace and wrote a book about how to survive sexual harassment in the workplace and was a big First Amendment uh, defender as well. Uh, and went on to CNN. So, I mean, she she's pretty freaking awesome and had done a lot. Uh, and like, I look again, like I mentioned Jesse Miley Dyer right now, but like she's having like freaking awesome moment. And like she put in the hard work and was on tour and did duel with school and now is like being rewarded for it and is super articulate and really fun to watch and listen to. And I think she's doing a great job on the, the, the wazzle. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few, you know, and, you know, and then like, you know, some became teachers and other things. I, I, you know, we'll get to this in a little bit, but I started looking up all these pro surfers on LinkedIn. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about it in a minute. I think, um, yeah, the essentially the the one one who I find I don't know, I just find really fascinating. Someone who took their pro career and uh, you know really used that to kind of just 
uh, kind of influenced surf culture post post competitive career and mm -hmm. just really steer this is this is somebody who took their success as a, a professional surfer or a competitive surfer and then managed to steer the culture of surfing in in more ways than perhaps more successful surfers ever have is Nat Young um you know like after winning the world title it was a teenager um he he just he influenced surf culture just from his own movements, you know, like yeah. the, with the shortboard, first of all, um, and then, you know, kind of the, you know, hippie lifestyle, you know, he influenced lifestyle in such a yeah. big way, but then brought longboarding the, back, the longboards. pro longboarding back. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, as, how many books with his, a lot of books, <laughs> <laughs> books, films, um, articles, opinions, um, his own, his own children and his family. Um, like, uh, yeah, he's, he's someone who's really, you know, taken the reins and just, you know, ran with it there. Yeah. He, Corky Carroll. How about that? Really interesting, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was the Bud Light spokesman for, you know, with Spud McKenzie and all that. <laughs> uh, he was, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, he might uh, not have influenced culture and could contribute as much as uh, uh, Corky's Corner on Surfer Magazine had a huge impact on me. Okay, and <laughs> you did have a Corky cool stick at one point. Oh so. no, I love Corky. I think I mentioned it on one of the podcasts before. Any time I've ever heard him put in his two cents about anything as a pundit or in interviews and stuff. He just always is really interesting, funny and counter to maybe his reputation when he was young, a, a bit deferential and like cool, you know, not like trying to promote himself, but almost has a real sense of humor about himself. Yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> he became caricature of himself in some ways, particularly in the eighties, I think. You know, he played a certain spiel, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for the Bud Light commercials and Corky's Corner. You know, it was very like over the top, you know, and that that was he used that and, and used it with, the, you know, with a lot of humility, like you said. Yeah. I mean, the one you I'm surprised you have mentioned, or maybe you just hold this up is uh, you know, Derek Hind, you know, Derek yeah. post. I mean, he had a very successful <laughs> career making it to seven in the world mm -hmm. losing his eye and coming back to seventh in the world again yeah um but then like he he's kind of now he's had such an influence on surf culture and he's so well known right now for his surfing that people don't even know about his pro career like they yeah. know him for for what he is now which is that's that's kind of amazing he's 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 like someone like Jerry Lopez, who, uh, you know, like his, even in old age, is still like known for his surfing. Well, Derek, Being like, cool. <laughs> I mean, he left, he walked away of his own volition too. You know, he made it back. He proved a point after losing his eye, made it back into the top 10, only then to leave and realize, you know, I'm going to be a coach and started coaching. And then, parlayed that into marketing with rip curl uh you know in the search you know i've heard a few different versions of how the search came about now you know mm -hmm. but derek 
Derek is pretty adamant that it was his idea and that he had come up with it and, you know, and he orchestrated all of it basically. So, I mean, God, like that, that alone, huge impact on surfing, right? Then litmus. Oh my God. You know, like the top yeah, 40, top 30 review. I mean, holy crap. Like all like that guy, too much influence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, but and, and also, and also, another university. You know, um, went to university. You know, yeah. um, got a degree, and uh, and also him, him and Richard Cram both have said. You know, one of the reasons they left the world tour, I think, was because they. The well, Richard Cram said he realized he wasn't going to, you know, go for the world title. You know, that was not really in the cards. And and Derek Hind has talked to, you know, referred to himself as like more of um. You know, there was the the Sean, Shane, Dane, MR, and Rabbit, and Carol crew, but then there was you know more you know the Terry Richards and Simon Ennison, you know, and that that level, you know, which was still shit hot, but like journeyman, journeyman almost, almost, but still yeah. people still, who left yeah. their mark and were in yeah. you know the top ten. Uh, I mean, Simon Ennison was number three, probably the best, the most and successful Simon of that Anderson. group. And yes. Simon. Marvin Foster coming at you. You know, but one thing I wonder, there's some pros out there or former pros that I'm like, how do they make a living? What do they do? Like I, you saw the text I sent you. I, I Oh, you mean like people who you still see surfing, but you're not sure where the income is coming. Yeah. From. <laughs> yeah. Like Michael Ho, if any of our listeners know, please let us like, I'm curious, like what does Michael Ho do for a living? Now this is my theory. Um, Property? I remember reading, and I think I say it again. Property, I think so. Yes, property, because I know in a Derrico profile in the late '80s, early '90s, he he had to mention, or then Marcus, I think, who wrote it, had mentioned that he owned a few properties. You know that he took his, you know, his pro surfing winning and and did that. And I feel like I read Michael Ho maybe done this well. Now that's something that could really. I mean, if you, if you own even two houses and one's outright paid, the other's joint income, that's going to make it easier. I mean, you could. Plus, if you bought it on the North Shore in the early 80s and then sold mm-hmm. it in like the 2000s, like you banked, you know? So, I mean, yeah. there's, and, and, and to be fair, many locations have been kind of, I don't, I don't want to put too much like, pioneered or whatever but they moved to these places that were not as popular for the waves and then the tourism and everything else built around it and they were able to cash in on that too i imagine surfers ride that wave yeah yeah. you know the 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 (laughs) surfing real estate wave which probably explains why so many surfers foreign pro surfers now have actually gone into real estate which i find really interesting i also find a lot of my do you find it really interesting or just a little bit interesting (laughs) I find it interesting like, uh, as a trend. I see it interesting as a trend uh, because it, it, you know, basically the industry kick kind of just let go of a lot of people and the industry couldn't support the amount of mm. people I think that were in it. And so everyone was looking for something and real estate is great. You don't need a college education. You have to be a warm personality. You have to be tenacious and, and determined. And uh, you know, you gotta, you know, just know people. And I think, 
that's a perfect career to go into if you're not a pro, if you were a pro, were a pro surfer and looking for a post career and to make good income, you know, but it's competitive as heck. I do smell a reality series in the works. That would be great. You know, <laughs> like I watch Bravo and like the million dollar uh, real estate shows and all that stuff. It'd be great to do one around surfing. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> meeting up for the morning surf and then like get to the house and be like an open house and someone comes in like yeah well you burned me this morning so i'm taking my client elsewhere you know <laughs> well, this would be like a, a, a fictional kind of thing no this i think you could make it real <laughs> and i think it would be pretty competitive and i imagine that competitive nature being a pro surfer also is another skill set that it will work really well for you post-career yes now we talk okay so we're talking about all the skill sets where you you leave surfing and you either have enough money to to, to invest in stuff or mm -hmm. to i don't know set up some way that you can live or you either have really good skill sets and connections and you can get a really good job now this brings me to the thing where okay what if you are someone who is one of our treasures of surfing yes you know, the, like right now you know like kelly slater will be a treasure and i would hate for one day for kelly slater to be struggling you know like i feel like he's given so much to the sport um that you just want to see him just like looked after for the rest of his life even if he goes completely batty or can't contribute anymore it's like let's sort him out and so yeah you know uh, Mickey Dora in his old age, you know, Henry Hodge, okay. Harry Hodge Harry from Quicksilver, Hodge. Yeah. basically, Quicksilver you know, Quicksilver Europe, um, you know, like set him up in a, a flat and uh, gittery and, you know, looked after him, gave him, you know, clothes and a, and a little income so he could just, he's like, he's Mickey Dora, you know, like we need yeah. to, you know, just uh, take whereas care of, take care of our elders, take care of our elders. Whereas, and, um, and now you have, you know, like Aki and Curran, I mean, I know they're, they're benefiting Rip Curran and Billabong, but it's, they're still, it seems, well, I don't know all the ins and outs, but like, they're still just paid to be them, you know? And I'm, I'm curious if there were, when Billabong sold and also when Rip Curran mm. sold, if there were clauses in the contract say, you have to <clears throat> honor our contract with Aki or, uh, current for the next 10 years or till their retirement or whatever, you know, like proper retirement when they're like AARP, you know, style. Um, you know, I wonder if the, those clauses are, are, are in there. I'm curious, like how that all works. Um, Cause those two, for those two companies have, uh, well, it's hard. I know it's hard to quantify, but they, I feel like, you know, they, they are those companies, you know, they're, they're synonymous. Basically. They're synonymous with those companies. And, those companies built were built on their backs in some regard. Um, Billabong for sure. I mean, you could trace mm. Billabong's success to Aki. They mm. really like no one was more high profile than Aki in, in the eighties other than Kern and Aki liked the limelight, whereas Kern didn't, mm. uh, you know, and Kern and rip curl. I mean, that's always been there since very young age uh curran's been with rip curl and it really well, it was that weird time when he wasn't when you saw oh him. well we don't want to visit that period that was like i mean for our listeners who may not be aware like curran was with rip curl pretty much all the way up from amateur days late 70s early 80s 
all the way on up to about 96, I believe. Then he went to go ride for NSU, which was North Shore Underground, and all these more my wetsuits and all this stuff. And it was just realm, the realm, the realm. Well, that came after NSU. Um, you know, it just then it just seemed so not current and so weird. And to, the Sanook Sandals ads. And the great. Sanook Sandals ad, you know, where with Micah, uh, Micah, oh, what's Burn? Not Nickens is another one, another hunting. Micah Burn? Maybe. I met Micah Nickens and Saxon Butcher on the beach in Boucher. Boucher. I don't know. Saxon Butcher is a good name. I know. "Ah!" (laughs) I met them on the beach in Ecuador. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they were nice. They're really cool. Yeah. Saxon has had a really nice post career. Went to Hurley, worked at Hurley. Like, I don't know if he was where in the company but he seemed to have done well and i think he's gone on with with uh bob hurley to candui uh investments oh let's so, just take another sip to to saxon raise a glass raise a glass to saxon boucher <laughs> but, but then to bring to you know the you know the the treasures and afterlife yeah. i read i mean this is a couple of years ago now but um you know david nueva uh, two years ago, it was in a Surfer's Journal article, and they said um, he was he was an Uber driver, mm-hmm. and I just felt like David Nueva. He, without him, like he's our Jimi Hendrix, you know. Without David Nueva, we if you if he never lived, surfing would have this great big gaping hole in its uh, historical body. I feel like we should all. Has this been done already? You're giving me chip a look. In. I know the. We should all chip in, and I don't know. He needs someone needs to like. Uh, maybe he is being sorted out. But I feel like he's someone who like there should be a. The U.S. government should pay for. It. <laughs> <laughs> he should. Okay, so I know I'm jumping around real quick, yeah, but that's good. Um, you know, Rabbit Bartholomew and Mr. both have um, orders of the empire. You know, um in australia it's basically really like kind of like um palpatine like uh sent him out well no like orders of the empire like 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 paul mccartney and mick jagger have you know they're they've been knighted or so by the queens and they they were um they got the it's 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 a really high honor and they get it from the queen you know and stuff like that i don't know if there's any it's a title as well i don't know if they could be called sir mark richards and sir sir rabbit (laughs) but um (laughs) but like david (laughs) nueva you know should qualify for something like that and uh be looked after the u.s does a shit job of looking after its athletes in general uh, I watched this uh, documentary recently on Olympic athletes and depression that they mm. experience post career and how the government does fuck all to support them. They, they herald them, put them up on a platform, use them and then discard them like they're nothing. So we have a horrible history here uh, of like mainstream athletes, even uh, let alone surfers. Right. But there is something to be said. And, and I, I think the industry, the surf industry has done a pretty decent job of maybe taking care of those those gems, you know, those really iconic surfers. I mean, you got 
Curran still rides for Rip Curl. God, Curran, like, is having a moment with Free Scrubber, you know? I mean, it's mm. like hit that movie was, if you look at the YouTube view, it's crazy. It gets way more views than most kids, you know, watching, you know, that are on the tour. So, I mean, I think Curran, you know, they've taken care of, Aki have taken care of, but who who else maybe like hasn't been taken care of that you think? Who, who are people that you think should have been, who you don't hear from maybe, or feel like they haven't been taken care of? I'm curious. Mm. It's funny because it, it feels like I'm not sure how well taken care of yeah. they are. You know? Yeah. Like, because I know like, you know, Gary Elkinen has had sponsorship from Fox at different times and Quicksilver at different times. Um, well, what's, okay, so this is something that, what's happened to Chelsea... Georgeson Hedges, you know, world champion. Is she? I, I haven't She's heard. So awesome. I was just reading about her. She, What's she doing now, though? So she last I read, um, she was, uh, where is it? I actually had a note on it somewhere. Um, where is it? Uh, yeah, she went on to um, one in 2010, won an ISA World Amateur Championship after she had kind of retired. And then she um, went on to coach at the um, Surfing Australia High Performance Center. And that's the last that I saw. And her husband was a, was a surfboard shaper also. Mm. So I imagine she's still involved. Maybe she's coaching. Uh, well, that's it. Know. She's a world champion. You know, like it's, uh, it, it was interesting when you know, Derek Riley wrote the article on um, Martin Potter. Yeah. Oh, it was a guy that's already 10 years ago, they wrote it and they were saying how, and people were quoted as saying, you know, how he was kind of forgotten. And I thought, really? Has he been? Or maybe I just haven't forgotten about him. I was like, Potter's <laughs> still, you know, he's, you know, like our term, you know, the Mount, Mount uh, Rushmore kind of guy. Um, and, but maybe compared to, I don't know, Curran and Oki, you know, he's been forgotten a little bit. But, well, hit but the then compared to Chelsea Hedges, you know, like you just don't, I don't think they talk about her much, you know. Well, I don't. I don't think. I think maybe that's by choice by some people. You know, they mm. don't want to be maybe known or don't want that that level of attention or maybe we're never comfortable with it. Um, you know, and I think like, look, Martin Potter. You know, his circumstance was was really kind of shitty. You know, if you read that article that Derek Riley wrote, it's great. You know, and basically Gotcha was like, we didn't have enough money to support him and the rest of the team. And we gave all the money to Rob Machado, basically. You know, that was kind of the whole thing. And he had just won the world title and he thought everything was going to be made. He wins this world title. He's set for life. That's what he thought. And then Gotcha just, well, one, got sold and then really just tanked, you know, and then you know, for a little bit, Potter was was doing stuff, uh, you know, for like Quicksilver. He was riding for Gotcha Europe, which was owned by Quicksilver, the license. You know, and he went around different things. But, you know, he got to hang out with Barton Lynch a lot, which seemed pretty good. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, no, he his unfortunate thing was the, the company that backed him, that he was on, just couldn't keep up. And they, you know, Gotcha, you know, is pretty much folded now or was owned by uh nautica right or perry ellis one of those you know big conglomerates they end up getting bought and sold in walmart you know much like op did so 
I think like he just un- was very unfortunate, didn't have the right sponsors. Whereas Quicksilver was able to to keep Tom Carroll and keep him on and take care of him, right? I still mean, do. He still, yeah, no, he still does, yeah. which is amazing. Even after it's gone through its transformation as well. He was their first million dollar. He was the first million dollar pro, you know, apparently. Um, so, you know, I think that happened. But yeah, Chelsea Hedges. You know, Chelsea Hedges, Georgeson, George, um, you know, like well, she's Tom- someone when you asked, you know, like what's do you know, the what happened thing, it's like I don't know what's happened to her. Um, I couldn't find her, and she's team. a she's a world champion, you know, who, who I haven't heard from. Well, there's a lot of them, like, I mean, I was trying to find a lot of them on LinkedIn, which was the, the world champs, yeah, yeah, I was trying to find world champs. So, uh, which world champ do you not know the whereabouts now? Well, Pauline Menser is a big story, I suppose, and that's been getting a lot of press lately. Yeah. And she's yeah. driving a bus. Um, yeah. Never got her yeah. world title, you know, bonus. Didn't get, a, a, didn't get a trophy, I think. Yeah. Right? Like, Not even trophy or the money, which was supposed to be about 25 grand, which was over. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's, yeah, that's, that's just a sad indictment of what women's surfing was at the time. Pro, yeah. you know, the, how the pro tour treated women's surfing. Yeah, it would be cool. I uh, hopefully the WSL can can like bring her into the fold somehow because I think she has a lot to contribute actually, and could really, you know, help a lot of uh, a lot of surfers coming up. But I also like so on LinkedIn, like Sean Thompson's on, duh, of course he is, right? Uh, Peter Townend's on, Mr. Not on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> Tom Carroll. Totally on. Tom Kern, totally expected not to be on LinkedIn. It's amazing we even have him on Instagram, people. We have two of them on Instagram, at least. <laughs> well, he's Kern got a bad, bad to promote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, actually, do you remember this? In the ASL, they used to do a whole thing in the back. It was a cartoon where they did uh, professional surfers post-career type of things. And they did Tom Kern, and it shows a draw, a cartoon drawing of Kern in a nightclub going, quando, quando, quando. Yes, played his music. I do remember that. <laughs> Which is totally accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Shane Horan did not uh, go to work for McDonald's, though. They did one of those. That was hilarious. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> um, but like, uh, so who else? Damien Hartman, not on. Barton Lynch is definitely on. Now, okay, so LinkedIn, what's... Okay, I've never actually bothered to care what LinkedIn is for. Isn't that like some sort of business networking kind of thing? It's for you, like networking for professional for jobs. It's like, you know, if you want a professional job, you have to have a LinkedIn profile. I guess Damien Harbin never had to. He's just always been successful professionally, hasn't he? Post... Didn't he have like... He was a successful job for Rip Curl, yeah. He just an event manager. He just was like the event you know, coordinator or whatever, which I don't Hmm. know if that, I don't know how involved that is or not. I don't know if that's a figurehead role or they're really doing work or what. I I don't know with that, but I know he was, you know, taken care of by Rip Curl. Um, He always looked, he had that facial expression like he was, he was doing all the hard work. He he worked hard to win his world titles, man. No, I mean, as all the post pictures in his job, like he looks, looked like someone to be looks reckoned like he with. Aged, or are you saying he no? Just he aged? looked like someone who was like, oh, sure, he's in charge. I'll defer to him. You know, you know, um, Frida Zamba 
uh, not on, but has Zamba Global Surf Tours in Costa Rica and does like oh, whole retreats and stuff, which is pretty freaking awesome. And honestly, Frida could probably enter a contest and still make it to like the final final rounds. She's still in like fighting shape, right? Oh my God. Yeah. Like just from the photos I've seen and little video of like her at BSR and Waco, like, oh, oh my gosh ripping i remember seeing her when i went to school in florida and seeing her at flagler beach and i was like oh my god who's this 14 year old kid ripping and i'm like oh my god it's free to zamba no way <laughs> and then I, then i went up and met her and i was like oh my god free to zamba you're so awesome i love i watch you in the 1986 op pro against pam burge all the time and then she's like oh my god did you really have to say that did you really have to age me make me feel old and i was like shit all right <laughs> <laughs> um did a uh, joyce hoffman when she what i ah i read what she's up to i mean she, i know she's really into horses and and stuff i feel like because she was like the dominant surfer of the 60s mm-hmm. um pam burridge one of our former topics yeah. she went on to you know has a surf school and you know seems to live a pretty nice happy life with their husband and mm. you know they seem to 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 think have things kind of working nicely oh um, I, I we don't need to just go down right. this list and say yeah, where yeah, is everyone so, now yeah, that yeah, could, that's right. good too. so who who do you think's done it best who do you think has done it best post surf career or continued their career even you can say oh well i mean as i said i, th- I thought uh uh, Derek Hind and, and Nat Young. I know Nat Young didn't compete on a world tour, but I feel like they're post, I mean, they're those two and Jerry Lopez, they're people who like never stopped being relevant. Yeah. Um, they kept evolving with the times. They were always cutting edge. Like I think those three surfers are still cutting edge as far as the culture goes. Uh, you know, like you people, they're still like, the coolest of the cool they're still mm. influencers they still yeah. uh, and and they're people just who uh, you know no matter like like a david bowie you know just constantly evolved constantly was you know leading leading us and leading the culture they were the people i'm gonna throw some wild cards out there you that might be out of left field for you with these luke egan freaking great post career mm. you know uh was one of the ground floor investors in electric, which got bought by Volcom and he made out pretty well there, which he parlayed into commune that resort uh, in Bali, which is mm. now like huge. And he's a part owner in that. And well, that's, I think that's someone that's, who like, if you're looking at who had the, well. who, who, who is successful by themselves for, for themselves. And, yeah. you know, like had a, you know, a, yeah, like professionally, Yes, they made a nice, good transition. They were smart. And didn't he uh, satire that in some film? There's, I don't know, maybe a Bill Bong film where he's like, (laughs) you know, he's the guy on the cell phone before cell phones were big and he was like cutting deals and stuff. It may have been like a a Jack McCoy film or something like that. Then there's, you know, Sofia Milanovic has had a really good post career. Like she's just continued to be like a spokesperson, a champion of surfing in Peru. And Peru is really taking good care of her, it seems, as a country. They've really kept her propped up. And and God, like really? she won the um, ISA. ISA recently. 
like that was crazy. So I mean, yeah, she she's done really well and was a world champ and sponsored by Maui and Sons now in South America, which is interesting. Yeah, Maui and Sons. Hey, you know uh, uh, what Luke Egan's one of Luke Egan's early Former. big sponsors, actually. I know connective tissue right there. <laughs> um Shout out to Richard Jenny, who, when I was 11 years old, influenced me to buy the Maui and Sons Cowboy T-shirt. Maui Cowboy <laughs> T-shirt. Very trendy, he said. Um, and Taylor Knox has had a really good post-career. Obviously. Has he retired yet? I thought He's he was still on tour. Retired from competitive surfing. <laughs> he, was, he was one of those guys who, like, I thought was going to just surf until... Until he tour. moved yeah, off his mortal coil, I thought. But he is like still sponsored, still putting out clips, but has his whole arc, you know, kind of coaching, surf coaching method, similar to like Brad Gerlach, you know, and Wave Key. But also he invested in St. Archer's Brewery, which may, he made very well, made out very well. I mean, God, like how many pros have gone into alcohol beer and other alcohol recently and oh, they're doing pretty Fanning well and uh joe parkinson invest in josh it kerr balter which mm, got sold that's what yeah that's what it was so yes other, yeah but i still with i still think those are those are good careers they did well but it's not as interesting as rabbit bartholomew who rabbit has afterwards the coolest the one well, the and like you know after after his career was over i mean he struggled for a while and you know to try to um, live up to what his career was like as a pro because his pro career was so interesting and so dramatic um, and then like towards the end you know he just became like rediscovered his teenage years with uh, uh, with Chappie and Kong and then but then you know like did did commentary it, it was a prolific surf writer you know mm -hmm. right I mean one of the uh, I was good um, a great uh a great anecdote, I think, was by Tim Baker. I think when he was the editor of Surfing Life, I think it was he said this. And he said there was one time when Rabbit was supposed to write an article about the North Shore season one year, and he was really late with a deadline, really late with a deadline. And he was still in Hawaii, hand sent it in. He's like, fuck, I have to go to press tomorrow and he's like shit he's just like screw it so he's he put the magazine together without the article in and then all of a sudden rabbit shows up at the office right off the plane from hawaii hands him one of those yellow like notepads and he wrote the whole article in there with all these like cross outs and this and that he hands it to him he's like oh god now i finally organized the magazine so i've got i filled the space and now he's handed to me he's like oh, i should put it in he's like oh i'm gonna have to edit this whole thing he <laughs> looks at it and rabbit's like Ugh, i wrote it on the plane ride back and he's like oh god better <laughs> he looks at it he didn't need to change a word it was absolutely perfect as it is and he wow. even expanded the magazine to make space for it. but apart from that then he went on to obviously you know, create the ultimate second act dream and hit tour. up the asp and create the dream tour then he oh, worked for billabong biochar challenges. first off billabong challenges too he billabong changed, challenges he changed competitive surfing he moved he 
single-handedly, you know, with Billabong really forced the whole thing. And those Billabong challenges forced Quicksilver to go to G-Land and started getting everyone thinking about the better wave tours, basically. And exactly. so, so I would say like, you know, that and he was- started- and he had a major big time surf coaching camp, Rabbit's surf coaching camp. And he ran the um, surf clubs. He was you know, inv- heavily involved in the surf clubs. But then he, he also was involved with helping to create the super bank. You know, he was super bank. involved in consulting with that sand pipeline that they put out at the end, uh, you know, of the Gold Coast. And that basically creates the sand that funnels. Yeah, I read it was him and Bruce Lee. Yeah. Not, you know, not karate Bruce Lee. No, I can say karate, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, they walked around and said, no, put a little bit of sand here, put a little bit of sand there, everything. <laughs> uh, and, and he was an environmental warrior and he ran for office, I think, or cool, he was talking about running for mayor. Clean water. That's his song on the surfer. Sang. The surfer collaborative surf rider album. No, and he's, uh, I mean, I, I still think the only mistake he's ever made post career is dyeing his hair. Yes. <laughs> he looked so cool silver with hair. his silver hair. He was just, I, for me, I looked that is how I want to look when I'm older. And it's totally impossible for us now. But yeah, we have um, no hair. I or, just, or you have thinning hair. I and know. then he went all Paul McCartney and I like, Rabbit, yeah. you just look like a stud. I don't know. Maybe as as we speak, maybe he doesn't have his hair dyed. I don't know. <laughs> COVID time right now. Or maybe I, I shouldn't. This, should, this is not the place, maybe. But his LinkedIn profile has the dyed hair, you know, okay. so I'm just going to say that. Um, and, and Mark Richards's hair right now, is that love it because long. of... It's very... It's cool. <laughs> interesting I yeah it. i like is it. that because he wants it that you way or is that because you can't get a haircut you mean mark lynn baker of perfect strangers oh uh, he's better looking than <laughs> mark lynn baker. but dude he looks cool with the long hair i love mr with the he's growing it down he's very like gandalf or something like yeah. that you know yeah i like that um well let's uh hear. brad gerlich sorry i know we should yeah. we didn't want to list but the, 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 yeah sure. cool. Cool. Come on, wave key, the game. Uh, you know, did you get that video I sent you from ESPN X Games? Did you watch X Games? No. So I sent you a video via email and for our mm-hmm. listeners, and it's um, ESPN. Oh, you did the pro post career thing. Yeah, yeah. I tried whole... playing it; it wasn't loading up, but I'll try again. There's a video on X Games website, ESPN, whatever you want to call it. And it's like, you can look it up. It's the post career and they interview like Shane Beshin, Gerlach, Casey Curtis, and a couple other pros, basically what their lives are like after the pro career and how they were all struggling to find themselves or find their way. And, you know, and it takes time, you know, Um, and it's hard. And like Shane Beshin was saying, he needed a whole year to just analyze and decompress and think about what he wanted to do you know it's i imagine that's a really here's the thing you go from surfing every day of your life you uh don't really have a whole lot of restrictions on your time because your job is surfing so you get to basically do what you want in some ways surf or you train for surfing or everything is towards that then when you're not and you leave the tour it's a rude awakening I think, I think it's mm. a smack in the face. It's a bucket of cold water poured on you. 
nah, man, you got to be up at nine. You got to be at work at nine. You got to be here. You have to do this. And you can't just like bail on things. You have responsibilities. You have bills. You have all these things now you got to pay for. It's a rude awakening for many of these pros. I mean, I know um, Damien Hardman had spoken about, not Damien Hardman, Damien Hobgood had spoken about a little bit of troubles trying to readjust and figure out and you know, it was like, do I go after the big wave thing and become a big wave surfer? Or do I do, you know, a real job? And, you know, and it's like, it's a very difficult thing to make that transition. I, I wonder if like depression follows that, you know, uh, I'm curious if pros experience major depression after their careers, because you're living so high, you're living, particularly in the last 20 years or so, if you were good, you know, mid-tier on the WSL and, or maybe even a photo pro. And then you're just like, fuck, <laughs> you know, uh, I wonder if that played, it plays into some of, some of the issues some surfers have had post careers. Um, you know, John Shimoka being one, Sonny Garcia being another. I wonder like, oh my gosh, all the Andrew I mean, Murphy, like without getting too heavy i mean yeah. like if if you think of all the world champs from the 80s they all struggled with with mental health post career i mean and that's yeah. like to a person you know um you know i talk about the 80s i think you know i'm talking you know post mark richards you yeah. know like uh all those guys the guys i'm i'm talking about i, I suppose. call it the top cat generation I'm, I'm claiming it. Did, did, did you claim that yourself? Claiming That's... it. No one's. No one refers them as the top cat generation. They just refer to Curran and Carol as top cat. But uh... I'm, I'm making the claim. I'm putting my flag, flag in there. Top cat generation. <laughs> <laughs> I think the '80s were a crazy time in general. Like if you, um, you know, I'm reading Anthony Kiedis's autobiography oh, right scar now. Scar tissue. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have you read it? Only only bits. I couldn't. I didn't finish it. I lost oh, it's traveling. amazing! And you yeah. know, just reading that, reading. I mean, his his he's a special case. But you know, and reading reading Kong's uh, autobiography, Tom yeah. Carroll's autobiography, and Aki's autobiography. I mean, the eighties were a hardcore time. I mean, it looked fun from the outside, but from the inside, and it was, it was intense. And yeah, the, the, the extreme, the, the, very extreme, very extreme. So. It's hard to come down, but you, you're completely right. Like coming down off of uh, pro tour, and well, then back to MR and bugs, and you know, like uh, the, the I, I can't I can't remember where I read it, but they were asking those guys how they adjusted to pro tour, you know, to life after pro tour. And actually, Sean Thompson said, "I'm completely satisfied with my career. I have no hankering whatsoever to go back to it." Whereas Mr. Mark Richards, you know, said like, "Oh, I miss it every day." He's like, "I just, whenever I look at the contest, I want to be back there." And it's just, oh, it kills me. I think the difference between those two is Sean had had always been kind of thinking post career. Actually, you know, even in '77, he was thinking about hanging it up because you know you couldn't make a living as a pro surfer. Almost, it was really difficult. Um, So I think like. Sean had always had in his mind a post career, whereas I wonder if MR did. Well, I read an article that where MR said actually the very even the first uh, world title 
mm-hmm. he still he um he actually didn't go to some of the events because he thought well this is even if you win a world title you don't really make much money so he yeah. actually sat them out to focus on his shaping career and it was only because he did so well in a few events and he was going to go to hawaii anyway that he said oh okay i'll go anyway so actually he was in the same boat in that in 79 he wasn't thinking of winning a world title he was he was focused on his shaping career actually until he you know, got picked up. Well, he won, K- and then yeah, the well, next he won. year, and then and then he got picked up by KFC and did those. Uh, I think the it was wonderful, the seven wonderful seasonings. commercial. Wait, wait, we're gonna cut to that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know on a new chicken shops open up across the street? Ooh, I might, even though the kids here, I might shop. sneak out to get myself a little midnight <laughs> snack. Um. Yeah, so have, I feel like we've exhausted this. Have uh, yeah, we didn't really talk too much about Sean, but he's had a pretty interesting post career. Started Instinct Clothing, then did another um, Solitude was the other one that he had that was in Barney's and was real nice high end. Um, you know he he's had and he worked for Patagonia, worked for O'Neill. Like he was a real interesting person. And- I, so I suppose with Sean Thompson, like you know, you can look at his his dad and his uncle. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up, you could see them as showing the way to a successful professional career. You know, yeah. in business, and you know, maybe even if he did cons- was really die hard as a competitive surfer, maybe he looked at it as like, I'm going to be a very successful amateur athlete. And then after that, I'm like, because his yeah. his dad was a successful swimmer. Uh, swimmer. He probably, maybe he looked at it like, I'm going to be a serious sportsman as a young person. And then I'm going to go on to a successful professional career, study economics and go into business. So maybe for him, his expectation was that. I know I have a yeah. friend who, uh, you know, from a young age was planning to become a professional skier. And they went away to, you know, like, um, you know, one of the ski academies and their whole life was gearing towards that. And then they didn't make it into the Olympics and they didn't make it into the pro career. And they had a bit of a, a, a hard time adjusting to that. And they, they actually got quite cross with their parents because they said, you know, you didn't prepare me for this. I thought that I, I was going to be, be a professional. Yeah. Whereas maybe Sean thought, oh, you know, I'm hoping to be a very successful athlete and then hoping to go on after that to become a successful. But so maybe for him, the transition wasn't that much of a shock because he'd already prepared for that. You well. know what it is? It's, it's expectations, isn't it? Always comes down to what you're expecting. And if you're expecting the world you're going to be disappointed. If you lower your expectations a little bit, maybe maybe you'll be a little bit more content. I'm curious. I wonder. I feel like that for myself. There's your uh, zen for the day. There's your yeah. moment of surf zen for you. But you know what, James? Do you know what time it's for now? It's time for you to lose again. Time for Stump My Bro. <laughs> I really wanted to draw that one out. Did you listen to um on the Surf Splendor podcast? They did kind of um a bit of a stump. I heard that. Yeah. Did you listen uh, to it? Yeah, I did. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Scott, so I'm not going to ask any of asked, their questions to see if you know it. <laughs> yeah, no, that was like that was amateur hour. Let me just tell you. 
I thought the the Harry Skirch question was the Harry Skirch was really good. That is a kind of a tricky question. Something you need to know. I knew it, but you know, yeah. Um, I didn't know how to pronounce his name though. I thought it was Skirch. I thought it was Skirch. So uh, (laughs) thank you for that, Scott. So uh, do you want to go first? Well, age before Uh, beauty here. uh, No, because it's always age before beauty. Let's do (laughs) you first this time. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, here we go. Okay, I got this. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did a lot of. I did a few of these. Okay. That's this okay. surfer, part of the new school generation, had reached second in the world, only to be dropped eighteen months later by his primary sponsor. Known for famously saying, "When you're on tour, every night can be a Friday night," to which a famous surf journalist noted that he tested this fantastic theory to its chaotic limit. Uh, he's now he now fishes for a living and lives with his partner, who is a former female bodyboarding tour competitor. Uh, oh, who, well, who had a well done, Jane Moran. Oh, yeah. interesting. That that should have been the stump because Shane yeah. Powell's the obvious answer ah, to your question. Yes, but I, I, if you would have had the stump as being who did? You well, who is who is his partner? Who is his partner? Who had or who did you? Have? uh yeah that was an easy one tyler steph peterson yeah. is his partner by the way and Who? she does all steph peterson and she does oh, all okay. these fitness things that i follow on instagram it's pretty interesting oh nice yeah all right she had a child with shane horan yeah shane horan actually shane horan, in fact yeah. horan, recently horan. another good way well, no i mean we horan, surf in, in all said. the surf movies they call them shane horan but yeah. in um two things one in journey to the impact zone uh he he narrates his part and he says uh, i'm shane horan (laughs) and then recently i was talking to an irish person who said something like oh i hate how people pronounce it horan or and there was another one like that and i said oh that's funny because he ends it's the equivalent of them calling bobby martinez martinez so (laughs) Uh. (laughs) okay uh you're that your only question no i have more but i don't know if you want to go back and forth on this uh, okay i mean i've got only I, i've got only one good question you know oh, I'm gonna ask it. um okay so this one ties into richard cram because uh, i always like to have my questions tie into what our topic's about and um this ties into richard cram it has nothing to do with post-career or anything like that but this is more to do with the cutback uh-huh. um now this person again I'll, I'll read out things. If you know it, uh, just wait to the end. I mean, it's not tons of interesting stuff. But, uh, this person is, you know, uh, I'd always heard about this person as the inventor of the cutback. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt says actually that he's credited sometimes as the inventor of the cutback. Um, and he says he was actually by 1950 became the master of the cutback you know an early master and this is someone who is you know a pioneering high performance surfer from santa monica was one of the malibu crew um in 1950 you know kind of what led to this cutback Mm -hmm. was you know he borrowed uh, you know joe quigg's wife aggie bain's girlfriend board you know one of the girlfriend boards a nine footer which was way shorter and thinner and more nimble than all the boards at the time and started basically ripping on it. Mm. And then all of a sudden on one of the waves in Malibu just started angling back towards the curl. And Joe Quigg even said, he's like, we were like, what? You know? And so this person's kind of known for being the, um, 
the inventor of the cutback. Is that so Matt do you know Kivlin? who it is? No, Kivlin? no, no, no. Matt Kivlin is the inventor of the California style. I know. And it's interesting. If you look at pictures of the other surfers at the time, they look like they're standing on boards. You look at Matt Kivlin, you're like, oh my God, he could be in a Thomas Campbell film. You know, like Matt yeah. Kivlin is patient zero for style. Yeah. But no, this person isn't Matt Kivlin. Oh, wow. Man, I thought it was because it was him and Quig. We're good buddies. No. No, in uh, fact, there's bizarre. I think there was some friction between Joe Quigg and this guy. I'm not sure. Huh. Huh. I don't know this one. I'll tell you his nickname. That might help. Yeah. You always Birdman? playing in the era. Which one? Birdman. Bird? I don't know, man. You're always playing in the in the the, the age that's not as my expertise as much. Because I'm my- always playing in the age where there's actually history being oh, made. Oh, fuck off. leslie birdman williams is the surfer and this is it leslie or leslie Ah, okay so if you're in england you're calling him (laughs) leslie if you're in america you're calling him leslie and if you're on police academy you're saying hi leslie (laughs) (laughs) but this is important to know this person this person also les williams also he competed like he kept that he's someone who never stopped surfing never stopped competing and was successful even into old age he died in his 70s i think in 2009 but he was still he was one of those like real like guys who was one of the shit hot malibu surfers at the beginning and who Mm -hmm. really without him i don't know where we'd be today all right well i got two more one of them you're gonna guess right away but I'm just going to say it anyway. But I guess them all right away. Though. Fuck. I do. Uh, no. I just- <laughs> this, this stylish, goofy-footed surfer starred on WB's reality series, Beach House, had reached their peak in 2005 by winning both the world title and triple crown in the same year, becoming the first female to do so. Um, she became, and, and yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. That's Wait, given a good amount. Goofy foot. Yeah. World champion. <laughs> it's so easy. I'm blanking out for a minute here. WB's Beach House. Remember that show, the reality I show? I know. The, the, the one I watched was when I lived with you and Danny Fuller and Holly Beck yeah. and Sonny yeah, Garcia man. were on it. Yep. They were some of the cast. Damien Hobgood was the other one. The same year. Yeah. We talked about this person today, too. I bet we have. Um, oh, with Chelsea, yeah, Georgeson Hedges. Okay, yep. there we go. All right, for a minute, for some reason, she was a regular foot in my mind for a minute there. <laughs> okay, and I got one more here if you want. I want, yeah, all right. I've got a little one as well, but uh, Australian former pro surfer, shaper, and legendary Indo explorer had a reputation for producing sleek, fast boards designed Pause. for riding. Oh, no, I don't want to pause you because you should say the rest, but I know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah? Should I say it or do you want to say the rest? Let me let me read off the, the, the nice little should thing I write here it for down? our listeners. No, no, uh, no. Should I write it down and then hold it up so you know that I'm No, not... I know that you know, but I still, it's for our listeners too. Let's see if they yes. can guess. He quit making boards in 96, worried that his health was being affected by the toxicity of the board building process. In the late 90s, he helped develop a hemp laminate surfboard 
but was unable to turn the innovation into a business. In 1999, he began designing boards by computer and shaping with the help of a computer-driven machine and thus re-entered commercial board manufacturing. Who is this surfer? Before I tell you the name, I'll tell you another funny, a couple of funny things about this person. <laughs> so Matt actually wrote, I think he wrote a joint about this yeah. guy where he said um, about the aforementioned hemp surfboard, like and there's a little video of it where he's talking, telling you about the board. I think he's a G-Land when he's discussing it. And he said, yeah, you know, and if the, uh, if the board breaks, you know, you can, uh, you know, set it on fire for a little surf uh, sacrifice and, uh, you know, stand down wind. And uh, he, he also did the speed fins, which were the snapping toolless fin systems where the, 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 the tail of the fin, the back end of the tin, the fin would, would move. And we're yes. flexible. I had one of these. Fucking what a nightmare to get the fin out, particularly when you broke the fin. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Oh, oh, oh. I Man. can imagine. What a nightmare. I mean, the now, this, 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 this person is enough. <laughs> this, there's two other things I'll say about this person before I say who it is. Um, this person, after they, here's a little stump for you. Yeah. After they surfed, uh, desert point almost by themselves yeah i think they were by themselves may have had one or two other surfers this is before desert point really made it big yeah um how did he celebrate on the boat afterwards oh, i forgot i don't know rum laced chocolate rum i always love that you know and I smoked a little hash and ate some rum laced chocolate and That's now I name. might be getting this surfer wrong, but did this surfer that you're thinking about also shape surfboards for Mark Arcalupo? Yes. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he did. did. Did when he was young, did he bear a passing resemblance to Mike Matchmer as well? <laughs> Match Mike Matchmer for our listeners, yes. an old old friend of ours. And uh maybe. Did but, did this surfer you're describing also get cross when their child was taken on a school field trip and they served him McDonald's and he didn't want their child to eat McDonald's because yes. it was bad for the environment? Yes. And uh, well, I don't and, think I need to say who this is. And this surfer is. also had a standout moment in 95's Quicksilver Pro where he wasn't in the contest, but he was uh, free surfing around it and just blew everyone's minds with his tube riding. This surfer. Oh, yes. Now is. this surfer also. Okay. I right, think everyone. I I think I may have actually spoke to them when I was in Bali. I'm not sure. <laughs> but in 1998, I was surfing just like shoulder high Uluwatu. And this guy who looked just like him got this really amazing tube on what looked like a closeout to me. And I was looking at him afterwards like, whoa. And he said, yeah, it's always nice to get one of those. <laughs> This Wait, I have to be the one who says it because yeah, I might get go. it wrong. All right, go. I I might get it wrong. Okay, it's God. it's obviously Jeremy Biles, of course. <laughs> you are joking, yes. Um, okay, I know it's it's really <laughs> okay. I'm gonna try it. Listeners are random. probably getting pissed off right now. Just fucking say it. Stuart Daff Cadden. Oh my God, Come Jim on. Banks. Of course, yeah. it's Jim Banks. Jim Banks. Okay, and, and he had also, my... by the way, no, no, no. He had one of the best article titles, uh, profile kind of articles or travel articles called "Jim Banks Gets Another Thousand Tubes in ASL" back in like oh, '94. Yeah. It was awesome. Love that. 
<laughs> that's a good one tyler that's a good one right yeah, yeah i like it because he's definitely a contributor to uh to surf culture and it's has an interesting kind of post career very know? interesting yeah and wasn't he doing Farrell, like tours of Farrell. yeah tours of indonesia and stuff which was always like his dream you know he's doing tours remember taking his family feral surfing in indo like in a canoe like crazy stuff when they were young the kids and everything like and also a, a famous graffiti artist took his name actually you know thanks <laughs> um all right very very quick stump just okay. to have my second stump i mean very very quick yeah uh which former pro tour surfer is kai lenny surf coach oh doug silver yeah i was like whoa Dude, doug, doug nice. silver and the single twin remember when he came out with the single single i twin? do remember that big fin and then right behind it the smaller one and he was trying to push that along and his Teardevil movie performances were fucking amazing. I love his surfing. He's very smooth. And his torso makes huge. Hugh Jackman's torso or <laughs> uh, uh, Channing Tatum or whoever has a really good torso these days, just like pale, like pale. I, yes. Yeah, I want and, his torso. And and it's very long and his surfing is stylish. And he I think he's behind or part of the mink system too. Those little um kind of blue on little tabs at the back of the tail. It's supposed to, you know, break up the water flow a little bit, make the board ride faster and get better. I think grip. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, Doug Silva, man, was punk too. LA, Jamie Brissick, him, like kind of had that punk vibe going in the 80s so good but his surfing was just it's as a tall goofy foot it's inspiring to watch him i love watching him surf um, i get inspiration i want to surf like him almost mm. sure well he's talking about another inspirational tall there goofy we foot. go yeah wow so um that ends our show jame uh, you know for all our listeners I'm sure you're sitting here being like, how could you miss this person or that person or this or that? Feel free to send it to us. DM us at the Sunday joint on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and, or you could just write Matt, you know, on the EOS and he can forward it to us and you can, or if you have bad reviews, you can send it to Matt also, I guess. <laughs> Blame it on him. Bad reviews. But uh, no, thank you all for listening. And uh, Jane, you want to take us out here? We love you all, everyone out there. <laughs> we, we hope to hear, talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you all, and we'll catch you all next time. James D.